Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, what's up? This is Devin Steele. I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. So make sure that you check it out right here. Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. What's going on, y'all? It's Jeff Trotter, the founder of Being On Break, and I'm hanging out with my homie Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. You know, this pod is all about the movers, the shaker, the podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. I am your host, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you guys for joining me. You could be anywhere in the world today, but you are here with me and my guests. I want to send a huge shout out to the Consortium MMT for allowing me to podcast in this space. Big shout outs to, you know, producer, engineer, guru, uh, executive junt, Mr. Brandon Lewis. Also, (laughs) big shout out to my boy Patrick on the videography. So let's begin. I have one of my good friends here with me. He is what you may consider a curator, a marketing genius. Um, He's also a big manager over there at FedEx Corporate. We're going to get all in his business today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. What's up, Marvin Todd? How are you, sir? I am great. Thank you for having me. Thank Uh, you. Much appreciated the opportunity and appreciate your time. Thank you for coming today. You know, I just saw you not too long ago Mm -hmm. um, at an event we were both panelists on, Mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen you in quite some time. And you know how you get out and about after a whole pandemic has transpired and you Mm -hmm. see someone you haven't seen in so long? And I'm like, hey, let's catch up, Marvin. And we did. We did. We Uh, did. Because I don't think I've seen you in probably a year or two. Yes. So I'm glad we got the opportunity uh, to get together. So shout out to Josh. Yes. Or, yeah, Josh, for bringing that together. Yes, definitely. And we're going to start at the beginning, Marvin. Um, mm-hmm. What part of Memphis are you from? I'm originally from Whitehaven. Whitehaven. Yeah, that's, a good time. that's a good spot to be from. <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs out of Whitehaven. Uh, we were all born with a certain level of hustle in us. Yes, I mm-hmm. agree. I agree. Well, tell me about growing up in Whitehaven, your family mm-hmm. dynamic. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. Um I have two older sisters. Um, we originally grew up in the Graceland area. Um, went to Graceland Farms for a little while. Went to Oakshire for a year. And then transferred over to John P. Friedman the first year that it opened. Um, it's the first optional or what other cities would call a magnet school mm-hmm. here. So I went there from fourth grade to ninth grade. Um, graduating class was like 86 people. So very family oriented. Um, I still keep in contact with the majority of the people I graduated with or were there during that particular time. Um, 
after John P. Freeman, I then went to uh, East High School, which is like 30 minutes away from the Whitehaven area, um, but grassrooted in the Whitehaven area. Um, and that's where I met a lot of the people that I still, you know, not only do business with, but uh, still close friends with. Wow. Now, we talk about Whitehaven, um, that um, East High School. What type of activities were you involved with back then, the young Marvin? Oh, man. Uh, everything. Uh, I was in the band for four years. What did you play? Uh, the tuba. Okay, uh, tuba. Yeah, I played the tuba. Then I learned how to play the drums. I learned how to play the trumpet. Uh, just couldn't get to the clarinet or alto saxophone, but... Uh, in those four years, I learned how to play all of those. So, shouts out to Freddie Wilkes, which every John <laughs> P. Freeman graduate will know him. Um, mm. I also ran track, um, played basketball. Look at um, you, busybody. Ran Junior Olympics uh, track, so what is now AAU. Wow. Um, that was all in middle school, but once I got to East, it was, you know, at the time, my parents were more like, if you don't see a scholarship coming into uh, the fold, you know, stick to academics. So when I got mm-hmm. to high school, I struck strictly to academics, which is engineering. East was known for engineering and allied health. So you either went to one of those two fields. So mm-hmm. engineering was my pathway through high school. Wow. And you know what? When you brought up John P. Freeman, it just mm-hmm. opening and you attended, I was going to go back to that and ask you about mm-hmm. your parents. Were they very adamant about you and your education? Uh, my dad was. My mom you know, she was a little bit more hands off um, mm. because, you know, she was dealing with two daughters. So I, with me having two older sisters, she was more active with them. My dad was more active with me. Um, my da- sisters went in totally different directions than I did. Um, they went to Havenview and then one went to Whitehaven and the other went to Central. So we all traveled different pathways mm-hmm. through middle school and then high school. Are you all close today? Yeah, still still close today. My sister's birthday was yesterday, but the one is right above me. Wow. Um, our family dynamics, though, is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're older, um, I tend to take on most of the responsibility within our immediate family. Uh, so they're older, but most of the responsibilities and decisions, when it comes down to it, kind of fall on my plate. Mm. And you know, big sisters don't play about their little brothers, though. No, they don't. They don't. And, <laughs> and vice versa. Uh, they're very protective. Very, very. Very. Okay, so when you graduated high school, mm-hmm. tell us about your college experience. Uh, I then, my undergraduate experience, I matriculated at UT Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Why uh, UT Knox? Well, we did a high school uh, trip. Mm-hmm. So at that particular time, their minority um, uh, undergraduates were low. So they started to recruit. So they recruited from Memphis, Jackson, uh, and Nashville. So they did uh, two trips a year where they would take up like four busloads of kids uh, to basically recruit and get an experience of on campus. And that really was the one only college that I got a chance to visit, you know, prior to attending college. Mm-hmm. And it was the most, you know, relatable to, you know, at the time, different world. Mm-hmm. You know, that show probably – was one of the most influential shows to me because it showed, uh, you know, African-Americans in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I ended up at UT. We did a weekend trip, and it actually was a memorable weekend. It was the weekend that Memphis beat Tennessee for the first time in football. Wow. So the game was in Memphis, and we were in Knoxville, and the mood was very uh, different. <laughs> uh, on that side of the state, it's just, you know, as I stated before, it's not as diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... 
if you're recruiting minorities, it's for a reason. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. And you were a marketing major? I actually started wow. out in accounting. Accounting. Um, but it became very boring uh, mm-hmm. to me. So I moved from accounting to communications, where I took on uh, public relations as my concentration. Wow. But I kept uh, business as my minor. Okay. So just to have what I felt like adversity at that particular time, you know, went into communications because I felt more of a extrovert. Mm-hmm. And then kept the business to be able to run whatever I'm going to do. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> so let's talk about post. Post. Mm-hmm. Post college. Mm-hmm. Right after that, did you go straight into corporate America? No. I was a professional dishwasher. What? Yeah, I was a dishwasher at a uh, five-star restaurant okay. in Knoxville. Oddly enough, the other guy that was a dishwasher with me was getting his Ph.D. in he had his master's already, so we were basically two nerds, you know, washing dishes. You got to do um, what you got to do. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. <laughs> so um, once I graduated, I stuck around for another year. Um was a dishwasher, worked at a gym, you know, really trying to find my way, um, whether or not I was going to do graduate school or, or whatnot. And then I ultimately decided to pack up and come back home. Wow. But so- for about a year and a half, I washed dishes. Okay. Came back home. Like, what was, like— the main silver lining happening where I, I got to go back to Memphis. Uh, the jobs that, you know, I was interviewing for and getting offered, they were ultimately like sales jobs, but in the middle of like Idaho and mm. Iowa, you know. And if I'm going to do, you know, the track of not going back home and starting a you know career, I would rather be in a larger city. Um, you know, just thinking back then, trying to be progressive, you know, I want to be in a progressive type market, but those markets were taken by, you know, upper level individuals. So mm-hmm. it was, Hey, do you want to go? One offer was Iowa and the other one was uh, South Dakota. Yeah. They both don't sound too. Did not too sound high. too, uh, <laughs> too intriguing to me. So no. I turned those down and came back to Memphis. Okay. So when you hit Memphis after all that time you were gone away, what changed? Um, it's funny. I was so broke. I don't know what changed because I was in the house every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think overall, the city had grown just a little bit uh, in reference to I saw now the infrastructure of going back towards downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was growing up, everything was kind of you moved to suburbia flight and downtown was really, you know, dead at that particular juncture. When I came back uh, from undergrad. It was, hey, now let's invest into downtown. So the city was starting to to grow and be a little bit more progressive than what it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I see you got your big break with a job. Well, I got back in December, uh, had one interview, and I started January 16th, uh, the following month. Really? So I didn't interview for a bunch of jobs or anything mm-hmm. like that. I interviewed for one. Um, job at FedEx, and that's where I landed. Are you serious? Yeah. You've been at FedEx for a long time. Um, 18 years. Wow. And fast forward to today, you are a marketing manager there. Mm -hmm. I've moved around a little bit. You've moved around. Because Mm -hmm. I believe at one point I thought you were in accounting there. I was in sales. I started out in sales. Uh, I did sales for about six years. Okay. Uh, And then I moved over to uh, marketing. Okay. But I've been in three or four different departments since mm-hmm. I've been in marketing. So, 
And, you know, FedEx is just such a huge conglomerate and, you know, they're headquartered here in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people's dream job is to work (laughs) at FedEx corporate, ultimately, right? So how is your experience working with FedEx? Um, Working at FedEx has been, you know, double-edged sword, to say. Uh, It has given me the experience and knowledge to be able to navigate entrepreneurship. Uh, But then at certain times, it definitely has, you know, pushed the envelope in reference to my patience in dealing with, you know, corporate America. It's very uh, political. Mm. Um, You know, everything is not two plus two equals four. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really about, you know, who likes you and, you know, whatnot in reference to how far that you go. Mm -hmm. Um, So in sales, it was really mind grinding for me um, because I didn't want to do sales, but you know, at that particular time, you had to do what I had to do to uh, survive. Mm-hmm. But um, as I've moved around, I've learned a lot about it, and I've leveraged that to, you know, build some different relationships and be able to effectively manage, you know, an entrepreneurship and, you know, not end up in tax court or, mm-hmm. you know, okay. issues like that. So mm-hmm. it just taught me a lot um, about people, um, business, um, just overall you know, the ability to really, you know, grow a network as well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. what exactly, um, as far as the division over yeah, there at FedEx, what what do you... What do I do? Yes. Yeah, most people don't know that what I do. Even people mm-hmm. that work at FedEx don't know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to uh, learn now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm in the uh, revenue management portion of it. Whenever you think of marketing, it's really it's four Ps, product uh, pricing, placement, and promotion. Mm-hmm. I'm in the pricing portion of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I own our pricing system that we utilize to basically price our agreements with our customers, enterprise, globally. So I have a team of uh, 12 that report to me. Um, we have uh, stakeholders across the globe. So I, I've had a chance to travel to probably about 26 markets in the U.S. Um, I've had a chance to go to Amsterdam twice, uh, India, uh, Bangkok, wow. uh, Toronto twice. So I've gotten a chance to move around. The one place that I was about to go that I couldn't go was uh, Medellin. Uh, Where is Medellin? South America. Why didn't you go? Uh, there were some other issues. No, no. <laughs> Medellin, uh, if you, you kind of go back to the Pablo Escobar story, is really mm-hmm. one of the capitals of cocaine production. Oh. Uh, so there were some issues with... Uh, that particular area. So Some we had cartel. To, I don't know the particulars. I just know we had to move that particular meeting from Medellin mm. to uh, Mexico City. And wow. I wasn't too interested in going to Mexico City. <laughs> you wanted to go so, to Medellin. Yeah, I wanted to see, you know, <laughs> some of the Going yeah. to, like, Bangkok and, you know, the Amsterdam's of the world, you want to see, mm-hmm. you know, different things on other people's cost. Mm-hmm. You know, so. For real. You know, that was a dream for me to go, but that one got pulled. But I've gotten to go to Miami. Seattle, you know, yes. New York, Napa Valley, uh, you name it. I've Arizona. I know FedEx got that good per diem. They do. I know yeah. they do. Yeah. I know they do. This is my last FedEx question, no, and then we'll transition. Um, how has COVID affected uh, FedEx overall? Oh, you know, man. how has it impacted business? I, and I know, like, the global supply chain has been struggling, even, you know, just in my world with corporate America. So how has that affected you and FedEx over there? Well, I will say this. Last year was profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, within my department, one of our key things to do is to basically generate revenue off of things that we already have in place. 
And that can be a number of surcharges and things like that. So mm. when the market opened back up from a, you know, supply chain, uh, supply demand perspective, things opened up for us, especially mm-hmm. coming out of uh, China. So we just implemented certain surcharges on top of that that kept us very profitable last yeah. year. So last year was one of the years in which we probably got our highest bonus that we've gotten in the last wow. 10 years or so. I didn't think about it like that because we were, like, expediting like crazy. Yeah, every, and there's FedEx. Yeah, once things got turned back on, you know, we were flooded. But now you're seeing the, the downfall of that. Mm. The downfall is you may make a, you know, purchase right now, and at the top it may say you may get there in two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, right now all of our networks are, you know, trying to play catch up and there's just not enough time to play catch up because one of the reasons we have such a service shortage is because during COVID, the world didn't stop. And mm-hmm. when we say the world didn't stop, businesses continue to open and continue to open, you know, new locations. And when opening new locations, you need labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you also open new locations, you need supplies. And that's mm-hmm. where the movement of supplies have really, you know, impacted our network and our ability to mm-hmm. keep our service levels high. And that's really across all the transportation companies. Mm-hmm. So externally, you know, business-wise, it was a good year last year. Right now, it's a bit of a struggle. And I think what we're also facing, even internally with FedEx, is we still are not back in the office. You know, I mm-hmm. see individuals that are back in the city and things like that, but it really is taking, you know, a mental impact on some of our employees, especially the younger millennials that really thrive on, you know, inner office interaction. Mm-hmm. So their attention span is, you know, leaving. And then right now <laughs> you can go find a job, you know, you can go work for a company that's based out of Chicago, get paid Chicago money and mm-hmm. stay in Memphis. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an impact to the job market as well, because mm-hmm. right now we're having to increase salaries because, you know, of the demand, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. I thought Amazon was going to knock y'all out the box at one point, baby. I thought Amazon was coming for y'all. They tried it. on my. Well, I think what people have to understand is Amazon did a large percentage of their business with UPS and FedEx. Okay. Uh, we terminated the contract with Amazon in May of uh, the year before last. Right now, UPS still has about 40, 50% of Amazon's uh Packages, which is that's a lot in the millions per day, so that's also nervous for UPS. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I work at FedEx, because when Amazon does get on their feet, that's mm-hmm. packages and revenue that you will eventually lose. Mm-hmm. And if you have a million plus packages in your network, that's a large percentage of revenue. Mm-hmm. So, um, Amazon is definitely coming there. Uh, very intuitive, very smart. They go to market with new things every day. Mm-hmm. Um, their website pumps out new stuff every day, um, which is a lot different for the older companies like UPS and FedEx. We're slower mm-hmm. than uh, Amazon is. Yeah, but I know y'all got a team over there thinking out the box. You got That's to. part of the, <laughs> the team that I want. Every day is yeah. meetings to, to think about how we can do things a little bit differently and generate mm-hmm. things, uh, generate revenue. So my department is that department, um, mm-hmm. which is why most individuals, if you talk to them, they're like, so what does Marvin do? I don't know. He works in <laughs> analytics uh, or whatnot. But, you know, I've gotten my hands on a lot of different things, and it has, you know, transferred over into other worlds where yeah. I'm able to figure out how to stay relevant yeah. and how to, you know, stay profitable 
yeah. at the same time and still understand the consumer. Well, speaking of those other worlds, we're mm-hmm. going to jump right in because, you know, you have Marvin Todd Marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that I know you is basically through uh, a few of my old coworkers from mm-hmm. radio, from yep. throwing parties here in mm-hmm. the city. So tell me how you even transitioned into that world. Really, it wasn't much of a transition. I met Devin Steele when I was 19 mm-hmm. um, as an undergraduate. You know, I joined my fraternity first year after my freshman year, and, you know, I'm Kappa. So one of the first things we thought about is how can we leverage people in Memphis to Knoxville? So we started to hire Devin at least twice a year to come up and uh, DJ. So in being a part of the fraternity, you, one of the fundraising aspects is party. So mm-hmm. party planning, party Always. execution. So that's where it all started originally for me. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was president for like two years of the chapter and also, also the membership intake chair. So I was over who was coming in and run the chapter. So built a relationship with Devin, uh, moved back to Memphis and that wasn't the first thing I jumped into. But once I got on my feet, I started to really have social functions at the house. But when the social functions ran to you got 200 people in an apartment, Whoa. a two-bedroom apartment, it becomes <laughs> problematic with neighbors and mm-hmm. whatnot. So really it was my friends to say, man, you need to start really, you know, throwing parties. And to me it was just to throw parties for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to see another aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the aspect of I got 200 people in my apartment because they don't have anywhere else to go. But they want to have a good time and feel safe. Mm-hmm. So that's really when the light turned on for me. And I was like, okay, I can do something I love, you know, and make a dollar off of it. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> that's the, the turn on initially, but it was about really growing over the years also. So mm-hmm. I got started like, it was like my 28th birthday and it literally was 200 and some people at Lincoln on the green. Mm. Uh, and my friends were like, yo, you got to you got to at least try it. So my mindset was, I'm going to do it for a year by myself. And uh, if I can accomplish it, see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And um, that year was successful, and that's when I met other people like David Mack, um, Ken Mack, and some others. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, like your, your background, your education, mm-hmm. all of that has pretty much you know, leveraged for you in this particular party life in Memphis? Because Memphis is a hard market, first of all. It's hard. It's very hard. (laughs) Let's talk about that for a minute, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the challenges that you faced Mm -hmm. in this, you know, I guess we'll call it nightlife here in the city. Well, some of the challenges that I face in the way that I think is when I came into it, I'm really, I'll go to the club, but the environment that I'm trying to provide is to take, uh, a spot that's not traditionally a party spot and make it a socially you know, active party spot. For example, like Alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Alchemy for years. Like me and Devin went the first two years and we weren't able to, to do anything there. And I just kept going and building a relationship with uh, a guy named Ben at the time, Ben McLean. And eventually I went in there and he's like, okay, let's do it. Mm. And I was completely you know, surprised. But the barrier in reference to breaking into those type of venues that are, you know, not as traditionally urban is, you know, what was the biggest challenge for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, once I broke into that arena, you know, it trickled on to the silly gooses of the world. And, you know, even with Carolina Watershed, these are all guys I've known for the last 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it really, you know, allowed me to grow. And even I never moved away from the urban market. You know, when it comes to I've worked with Curtis, you know, for years. And even growing up, I met Curtis when I was 12, when he was cutting really? hair. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. Curtis started out <laughs> cutting hair. That's that's how that's all when I this met him. got started. Mm-hmm. And actually, Coco and I were close friends. Uh, we were 11, 12 years old. So the biggest barrier has always been when you're trying to break through and, you know, do things in Midtown, downtown back then, you had to have the ability to talk to people that, aren't always in the, you know, same crowd or same uh, base that you're in. Mm-hmm. So it's that ability to really talk to them and, and get through. I've had some experiences that have been less than, you know, positive as well on the flip side. You know, I had a venue about a block from here tell me, you know, it doesn't matter if you have African-Americans in here with suits on. My crowd won't come in here if they're in here. Mm. So I can't take the chance. Uh, wow. I've had it. This is just point blank said to me. You know, I've had... How did you uh, respond? I laughed, you mm-hmm. know, and moved on to the next venue, um, and they closed two years later. Mm. So one thing about Memphis is you need the dollar mm-hmm. of the urban crowd to really thrive. If you think you don't, you know, you're going to learn the hard way. Same thing with Alchemy, you know. They were doing well until they weren't doing well. Okay. You know, and then I bring an element to them of crowd that never really even went there and they, you know, became residuals for them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the rubber kind of meets the road. So, um, I had a, you know, location right around the corner that wouldn't do business with me because of Devin, mm. you know, they said Devin was too closely aligned with Curtis Givens and they didn't want Curtis involved in this, even though it had that's nothing how they do to do with it. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> that's I, how they do out here. You know, I, I've seen a post where people talk about the top 10 places for you know African-Americans not to go. Trust me, I can give you a list of 30 uh, that are way more worse than some of the ones that people have mm-hmm. identified. And it's based on, you know, face-to-face, mm-hmm. you know, experience. So the biggest barrier is breaking down the, the stereotype that, you know, all urban crowds are, you know, the same. Mm-hmm. And um, getting past the point of explaining our party is no different than any other party, you know. Yeah. That, that was probably the biggest barrier. Well, let's fast forward to today mm-hmm. uh, because I know when we talked the other, uh, other week, you have expanded. You're even going out of town, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, trying to take mm-hmm. Marvin Tire Productions to other cities. So tell me about that. And let's also talk about how has your role changed in this nightlife mm-hmm. from 2007? I think just uh, the first portion, longevity and being in the game for, you know, 12, 13 years have allowed me to meet and go through my generation as well as the new generation. Mm-hmm. And with my relationship still with being a Kappa and still being able to go back to University of Tennessee, it allows me to meet people outside of Memphis. And with social media, it interconnects everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to use it effectively uh, to market whatever you're doing, you can market and do things effectively outside of the city. So I've done things in Dallas. I've mm-hmm. done things in Houston. I've done things in Atlanta. And all of that is based on the fact that I am multi-layered in reference to how many 
you know, age groups I'm able to touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to, one of the things one of the younger guys told me a couple months ago is, man, you're able to relate to 20-some-year-old, 30-some, 40, and 50. And he was like, I think that's because they just came and said, hey, let's do a party together. And I was like, well, why would I do a party with y'all? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those things where if you're able to relate to people and you know the consumers, you know, all this gray hair don't stop, you know, okay. them from coming to something that I do. Um, so that has been the way that I've been able to branch out outside of the Memphis crowd. Mm-hmm. And so what has changed for you um to today, because I, I know, let's talk about some of the younger guys mm-hmm. coming into the game, and I look at you as a mentor for mm-hmm. quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. And like when a young guy comes to you and say, "Hey, Marvin, let's do a party," what's your checklist? Like, <laughs> hold on, little dude. <laughs> well, well, to be honest, I've already scoped out everyone before they ever come to me. Um, you know, I don't look at it as competition because I think there's enough money out here for everybody, and there's enough you know, creative niches for people to do what they want to do. But there's no checklist. I know who, you know, has a certain character that, you know, I need for them to exhibit in order to do something successful. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, you know, when I walk into Alchemy or Carolina Watershed or Brass Door or things like that, I need for them when I walk away to be able to same hold the same conversation and do events at the same level of integrity that I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in thinking of that, I really reach down to them because most of them don't reach up. You mm-hmm. know, they like I can do it myself. What you can? Right, right, right. Um, it's funny enough. I went to Tony. You know, I saw a skinny kid wandering around a, a park <laughs> looking lost, and I spoke to him. And then next thing I know, he was tagging me on a party, but the party was on the same night as mine. I was like, dude, do you know who I am? Who is the dude? <laughs> you know, like, I, but I, I respected it. And yeah. I responded and said, hey, man, I have something the same night. I'm not going to be able to make it. But I continued to watch him, and I mm-hmm. continued to watch how he moved. Uh, so then I invited him into you know, a weekend that was special for me, which is when I do my birthday. And if I do my birthday and invite you around, not only the party side, invite you around my family, my family is really deciding who I really deal with. Mm. Um, and that's how I really look at, you know, who I deal with. I look at how they move. I look at how they market themselves. I look at how they market their events. And I don't have a checklist to say it's like me or if it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You just can tell who has a certain level of integrity and quality about what they're trying to do and who has a certain passion that's close to yours. So when I look out there, you know, Tony's like that. Uh, Andy's like that. Really done. Tevin is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheese, the boss is like that. You know, these are all guys I've had, you know, plenty of conversations with. Any so, ladies? Are there any ladies in that in that space that you can think of? That I can think of. Uh, there's a young lady by the name of Nikki that's in this space. Um, she does pretty well herself. She does a lot of business with Brownlee. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty well connected. Um, there aren't a lot of ladies in this business, and I, I'm not sure why. There's another group, Powerpuff, you know, young ladies mm-hmm. or whatnot. There are a lot of ladies in there, but you, you got to think about the dynamic of getting a crowd out. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally speaking, young ladies bring out dudes. Mm-hmm. What dudes, you know, really want to go to a party with a bunch of other dudes? Mm. You know, so ideally speaking, mm. it's male-dominated, 
because males bring out women, mm-hmm. you know. And at the same time, I have this philosophy that pretty women like to party with pretty women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I bring out X, you know, type of woman, men are coming. But it's also men that know that if you come in the doors of Taylor Union or, you know, this place, this place, you know, you don't have to pay some money. So that's attractive. Uh, people want to always be in a room with people that are movers and shakers. So I think that's a real struggle for women because, you know, when I see them post something, you know, I'm like, man, a bunch of dudes are definitely <laughs> going. Uh, women, they, I think they made it hard for themselves because they don't support each other. If women supported other women on the social scene, it can change the whole dynamic. Lord, you just said something. You know, but that, that's hard to do. Women are, I ain't going to her party. Like, mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm. You know, I have dudes to come to my party right now that hate my guts, and I know they it. They're going to go to that party, though. Yeah, and they're going to shake my hand. They know the ladies going to be at the party. Yeah, they're going to shake my <laughs> hand. I shake this back and keep it moving. It's business. They're clients yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not personal. Wow. So, um, I never look at it like it's personal. The only time I've taken things personal is when I'm going through the roadblocks that you asked me about earlier. Like, mm-hmm. when I was having some of those conversations at the time, I took it really personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they circle back and need you, you know, it's something different because my goal was also to retire when I turned 40. I know this sounds probably asinine for somebody to say they're retiring from mm-hmm. throwing parties, but once I turned 40, I was really done. Mm-hmm. And then this, this pandemic thing hit. Pandemic and changed a lot. It changed a lot. One of the guys I worked with for years had Strayano's. He was a part owner in Alchemy. Now owns Carolina Watershed. He owns Beignets. Reached out about doing Cinco de Mayo, and it's been back into the fold since. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to turn it over to, you know, some individuals that can take those relationships and build on them. And build on it, I look at it as you don't have to, you know, partner with these people as long as I did, but leverage their knowledge to maybe open your own mm-hmm. uh, and, and use what they have. Because one of the guys I talk to all the time, he's explained from step A to Z how to do it. Right mm-hmm. now it's just on me to do it, which we'll probably get to, which is next projects that are that are up. That was my next question. I, I was really about to ask you, Marvin Tarr Marketing, mm-hmm. where is that going? Um, it's, it's, it'll, it'll move into my next phase, which is basically my own. Um, and it's using that, you know, to market my own. But at the same time, I consult with other businesses. Like, I work with Mahogany. Nobody knows it. We you know, know now. Yeah, you, you know now. <laughs> like, Are you getting your yeah. own venue, Marvin? Yeah, that's that's that is one hundred percent the plan. Okay, that's one hundred percent in the works. I can uh, see it. I'm just very picky. Okay, you know I've had opportunities, but they were not you know the opportunities for me. Um, I've had opportunities where the funding wasn't the opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I got all kind of friends that stretch far and wide, mm-hmm. but I never want to be on the news either. You know. Okay. So uh, <laughs> had to really learn you know, the ins and outs of this thing. It's not just the party aspect. If you sit down and talk to Devin, he'll tell you who puts everything together from, you know, a business and legwork perspective. But he is a excellent marketing mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also understands the business aspect of things as well. But when it all boils down to it, the number crunching the, and all that, that, that comes back, you know. 
to me and, yeah. and with him. Uh, we were doing a lot of things together. So, so when, when can we look forward to you opening up this new enterprise? Give me two years. Two that's years. All, that's all I, I think We I should know. be wide open by then, what you think? I know we will be. Uh, I know we will be. You know, for me, I didn't want to do it in certain areas. Uh, but I've narrowed down to, you know, three good spots that I think would be able to allow me to do what, you know, I envision. So. Cool. Well, I wish you the best of luck. You've had many lessons learned in this game. Um, you know, we, we're we're always learning something new, right? We're always meeting always. something, someone new, developing relationships, and you've been able to leverage your relationships very well. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. That's what it's all I'm about. Trying. I'm trying. It's... Yeah, it can be challenging, but hey, you have a great business mind, Marvin. Great marketing mind. Um, this is my last question to mm-hmm. you. You know. This podcast is all about Memphis, mm-hmm. and I want to know, why do you choose Memphis? Oh, man, that's easy, man. Um, Memphis is hard. Memphis is, you know, my home. Um, if it wasn't for Memphis, I wouldn't be, you know, who I am today, which is a vibrant, gregarious, you know, individual. Um, there's multi-layers to me, you know. You've got to know the social aspect. Uh, I'm also on the board of a charter school. You I'm, sure are. I'm the board chairman for that. That was originally supposed to be in Whitehaven, but we ended up in South Memphis. I'm on the board for Benjamin Hook's uh, mm-hmm. Institute for Social Change. So I really bleed, you know, Memphis and trying to build up Memphis. I've seen when the Greyhound station was over here where Greyhound Hotel I used is to now. work there <laughs> you know, so in college, exactly. yes. So I really, you know, I went outside the city, I went outside the country, and I know it has the potential. Um, we just have to get past certain, you know, mindsets and hurdles. Mm-hmm. But I think the city overall, it has the potential to really be, you know, a metropolitan, progressive uh, city that allows uh, minorities to really thrive mm-hmm. uh, along with the majority. Yeah. Um, so that that's the why difference for me. If I, you know, look back on my life and feel like, you know, I'm not a good person. You know, part of that would be the environment that I came out of. So the fact that I don't look at myself like that, look at myself polar opposite, I have to give credit to the place that helped birth me outside mm-hmm. of my mom. Yeah. So uh, I think Memphis is, is definitely growing on the up and up, and we all have a, a part or a possible part to be able to give to that. Definitely. Well, we can definitely look towards innovative people like you to take us to that metropolitan that you speak of, right? I hope so. I got a good friend that I think (laughs) is going to really be able to do that. If he decides to jump into this mayor thing, I think it'll be be good for you. Spill the deeds. I, I can't. I we'll get him on a podcast. How about that? Let's uh, leverage our relationship to get this I, I person connect, on here. I connect. <laughs> He's but, the president of downtown commission. So oh, I know I, who you're talking about. You know talking Wow, about. awesome. You I, learn I something new every day. I don't know what he's going to do, but yeah. you know, my prayer is that he takes that path. But Okay. Well, I have truly enjoyed you, Marvin Todd, uh, marketing guru, curator, um, you know, philanthropist. You're out here socially. You're doing your thing, Marvin, and I really appreciate you coming today. I've learned a lot about you that I did not know, and that makes me like you even more, Marvin. (laughs) You are always a cool dude, but you're even cooler now to me. I just only promote parties. I never promote myself. 
hey, that's how you got to do it, right? Yeah. Stay under that radar. I'd rather stay under the radar. Yes, definitely. I want you to give everyone your social media mm-hmm. handles, your website, how they can follow your journey. Well, it's pretty simple. It's not, you know, Chocolate Thunder 901 or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> it is simply Marvin Todd 901 <laughs> across all social media platforms, um, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. It's all the same. Marvin Todd 901. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Marvin Todd, on the Verbally Effective Podcast. I have definitely enjoyed your journey. And thank you guys for tuning in to yet another episode. Like I said, you could be anywhere in the world, but you are here with me today learning yet another journey from another Memphian on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.